Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Kelly and I spent 14 years in college ministry. It was Weatherford, Oklahoma, not Weatherford, Texas. There is another one in Weatherford, Oklahoma at Southwestern Oklahoma State University. That was um, early back in the 80s. And we had a young man involved in our college ministry, and it just so happened that he played football for Southwestern. He was, he was something. He was quick. He was fast. He loved to hit people. He was a natural athlete. Uh, every so often, a kid comes along. That's how old I am. I call them kids. A kid comes along, and you're like, wow. He racked up a lot of interceptions. He received a lot of awards. Again, he was one of the best athletes I have ever seen. Good enough that some pro scouts started looking at him. Good enough that he got some invite to some tryouts at some camps. And so in between some of that time, he needed some money. He had every indication, and he gave me every indication that he was going to get at least some kind of contract at least some kind of signing bonus. This was back in the 80s, and so they were telling him maybe a five or a $10,000 signing bonus. But in the meantime, he needed some money, so he came to me and said, hey, if I go down and get a loan, will you co-sign with me on a loan for $1,000? I said, sure. And then I went home and told Kelly. He promised to pay me back. He promised that he would pay the entire note. I, I, I don't remember if he got the signing bonus. I really don't. I, I do remember me beginning to make payments on that loan. And I remember having the opportunity to meet his mom. His mom would show up and be at the football game. She periodically came to town to watch him play football. He eventually left town. He would come back every so often. And I remember one visit very detailed as if it was yesterday he came to town and he was driving a really nice car and he was wearing some really nice clothes and there was so much bling hanging from him from gold earrings to gold to I mean it, he was dripping in gold and I was thinking you owe me a thousand dollars On one visit, he stopped to see me, and he wanted me to know that his mother had died. And he said, Richie, the last thing my mother told me before she died was, you be sure and pay Richie back. He wanted me to know that. He wanted me to know his mom's last words, according to him. It was important enough for his mom to tell him, you need to pay Richie, you need to pay your debt. He, he, he didn't. I think he paid about 500 I called that a win. You would think a person would honor someone's last words. You would think you would honor your mom's last words. You would think that you would honor the request of a dying person, but you've seen shows, you've witnessed, you may have been a part of. When it comes to last words and wills, families don't always do what last words say. Last words. Everyone has some last words, significant to those who hear them, significant to a spouse, significant to children, last words. 
We started a series last week called Last Words, and we're looking at the last words of Jesus. There really weren't seven words. It was really more like seven statements, but those seven statements, those 55 words, we're taking a look at those because last words are important. Two pieces of lumber suspended the greatest event in history, the greatest person in history, and suspended from the cross that day was the Son of God. I think it's important for a church to know what the last words were. I think it's important as Christ followers that we know last words. I think it's important to know what was said at the cross. Three of those statements were made while it was still day. Four of those statements were made in the darkness of the, uh, the day. The first three concerned others. The last four concerning himself and each statement has significant meaning on that day God did his best on that day man did his worst on that day God's heart was full of grace on that day man's heart was full of rebellion and I don't think we can appreciate what was said until we look at the crucifixion itself. Joe shared some stuff with you this morning very accurately. Let me just reiterate a little bit. Because at the center of who we are, but at the center of what we believe is the cross. The crux of the New Testament. The crux of the Bible. The crux of history. Crucifixion was not invented by the Romans. They just perfected it. They actually borrowed it from the Phoenicians. They, they had tried other methods of execution, burning, drowning, wild animals. The problem was the victim died too quickly, and the Romans thought, no, we need to do something to drag this thing out. Rome was looking for a slow, painful, grotesque type of execution, and crucifixion served that purpose. Again, as Joe said, you know, the victim was stripped and flogged until their back was almost raw, like raw meat. And then they led the person humiliated through the city. They would take a, a six-foot piece of lumber. It could weigh anywhere from 30 to 100 pounds. They led him outside the city. They would lie that person down. They would put a foot right on the wrist. They found a place on the wrist that wouldn't hit a major artery. And then they drove that nail in, and they went and did the other and inflicted as much pain as they could. The problem was the weight of the body would pull the person down and they weren't able to breathe. And so, again, as Joe said, they would, they would cross the feet and go down. So if you wanted to breathe, you had to pull yourself up on those spikes. Rome made her point. Because when you see the person and you see the person bleeding and you see the person in pain, the message was, don't mess with Rome or you'll be next. There was no more horrifying sight than a crucifixion. And as we read in Scripture, Jesus was led toward that grueling death and He doesn't speak. As prophecy would say, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus said nothing on the way to the cross, but after evil men had done their worst, Jesus began to say his statements. So here's the first statement. We'll take them in what I think is the order that they were said. 
Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And the first statement is, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus doesn't curse as others who were crucified might have. Jesus doesn't beg for mercy as others did. No, His first words on the cross come in the form of a prayer, which is somewhat interesting because Jesus began His public ministry praying. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as He was praying, He began His public ministry praying. And He ends His public ministry in prayer You want to know what Jesus is doing now? The writer of Hebrews says that He, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede, to pray. He began His public ministry praying. He ends His public ministry praying. And He's on the right hand of God still interceding and still praying for us. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When His hands can no longer reach out and touch, when His hands can no longer reach out and heal, when His feet can no longer walk or run to those who are in need, He prays. And His prayer is really not a single statement. In the original Greek language, it suggests it's it's a continual. It's a continual prayer. He was continually throughout the crucifixion, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. When they hurled their insults, He was still praying. When they gambled for His clothes, He was still praying. He begins His earthly ministry praying. He ends praying. And in the the midst of exhaustion and the pain and the suffering, He would pull Himself up and, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And we need some preacher to say, come to church. Live a good Christian life. Father, forgive them. It's the most amazing prayer ever prayed. And I want us to learn from this prayer, and I want us to learn about forgiveness, because that's what he prayed. So the first thing is, what we can learn about forgiveness is, forgiveness was on the mind of Christ, even at the cross. In the midst of his pain and suffering and his torment, forgiveness is still on his mind. In the midst of what seems like righteousness being trampled underfoot, when it seems like Satan is about to win and kill Jesus, when it seems like there's no more hope, he's the Son of God, he remembers he's the Son of God, he knows his mission, he knows his purpose, and he knows what we need. And even at the cross, forgiveness was on the mind of Jesus. And it is in this moment that he asks God to forgive us. Which is good news for us. Because when we're in our darkest hour, when we're having a really bad day, when there seems to be no hope, when we're going through pain and persecution, we need to remember that 2,000 years removed from the cross, He didn't leave us at the cross. He remembered what we need at the cross, and He asked for forgiveness at the cross. He remembered why He came, He remembered who He was, and He was still asking God in His death, Father, forgive them. 
check me if I'm wrong, but up to this point, I, I don't think Jesus has ever asked God to forgive. He has granted forgiveness, but he's never asked God to forgive. You remember in Luke chapter 7, this woman comes in and with her tears and with her hair, she's washing the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He grants forgiveness. He's not asking for forgiveness. He grants forgiveness. Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. So he's not asking, but he grants. In Mark chapter 2, you remember, they, they have a hole in the roof and they lower this paralytic down. And Jesus looks at the guy and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, Who can forgive sins? And Jesus said, So that you may know the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus clearly had the authority on earth to forgive sins, but he's not on the earth. He's suspended from a cross. He's above the earth, and He still remembers what we need the most. Number two, I learned that when it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness is available to everyone. Everyone. No person is beyond the grasp of forgiveness. Maybe you need to hear that today. No person is beyond the grasp of forgiveness. No person is beyond hope. If the mob crucifying Jesus can be offered forgiveness from Jesus, surely there's nothing we've done that wouldn't be beyond that scope. I mean, seriously, who's Jesus, who's Jesus praying for that day? That day when He was crucified, He's praying for those who crucified Him, those who executed Him. He's praying for the mob. He's praying for those who spit in His face. He's praying for those who drove the spikes. He's praying for those who lifted Him up. He's praying for those who were taunting and mocking and hurling the insults. If there was ever a group of people who would be outside the scope of forgiveness, you think it would be those people that day. And yet Jesus says, Father, forgive them. He asked God to forgive those people that day. Interesting, when we turn to Acts, Therefore let all of Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. No doubt in the crowd that day were some people who probably crucified Jesus. There were some people in the crowd that day that probably voted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! There may have been some Romans in the crowd that day who were actually at the foot of the cross and he said, this Jesus whom you crucified is Lord in Christ. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we do? They realized, what do we do? And Peter said, you need to repent and you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the... For what Jesus granted all of us at the cross, for the forgiveness of sins. And 3,000 people were saved that day, and 3,000 people accepted forgiveness that day, which tells me no person is outside the realm of forgiveness, which is good news for us. Because I know, I know, if you're anything like me, I know that you're thinking, Richie, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my sins. You don't know my past. And you're right, I don't. You might be here today as far from God as anyone has ever been from God. And you may be hanging on a thread thinking there's no way God can forgive me. But I want to tell you that no matter what you've done, it can't compare to the people who killed Him that day. And yet Jesus gave them forgiveness. No one here today 
deserves forgiveness. No one here today deserves anything from God. When Jesus prayed that day, Father, forgive them, he was not only praying for the people at the foot of the cross, but he was praying for everyone in this building. He was praying for everyone who's ever lived. He was praying for you. And he's praying for me. God's forgiveness is available to everyone. And if Jesus is willing to forgive the people who, who killed him that day, I know he can forgive you of your sins and your past. Number three, forgiveness comes at a cost. Forgiveness comes at a cost. You want to know how serious God is about sin? Just look to the cross. Because God's holy and just, we have a sin debt that must be paid. And a sin debt requires a sacrifice, and a sin debt requires blood. And we read in Hebrews, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There had to be blood. There had to be a sacrifice. Someone had to pay that price, and Jesus paid that price with his life. There's a cost when it comes to forgiveness. I want you to know that forgiveness requires the same from us. We are expected to forgive others. Not only did God forgive us at the cross, but He expects us, calls us, asks us, demands of us that we forgive those who hurt us, those who mistreat us, those who persecute us, let me ask you, how good are you at praying this prayer? Father, forgive them, those who have hurt you, those who persecute you, those who badmouth you. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How good are you at praying that prayer? Listen, folks, forgiveness is not natural. Vengeance is natural. Retaliation is natural. Holding grudges is natural. Hanging on to bitterness is, is natural. The next time you're having trouble forgiving someone, just look to the cross. As Christ followers, we're called to forgive, and it might be one of the most demanding things God has asked us to do. You see, the cross is not just something we worship one day a week. The cross demands that we respond every day. The cross demands that as Christ followers, this statement on the cross gives us a directive every day that we are required to forgive others. Here's what Paul says in two different places. In Ephesians, be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. Why? Just as Christ forgave you. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. We are, we are called to forgive people in the same way God forgives us. You remember the parable of the unmerciful servant in, in Matthew chapter 18. The king took pity on a servant and, and he canceled a debt. And the servant went out and he treated someone not in the same way. You read in Matthew 18, he gets called in. He says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You see, the cross demands that we forgive others in the same way that we have been forgiven. You want to know what started that parable? Peter comes to Jesus. Lord, how, how, many, how many times? How many times? How many times do I need to forgive my brother? Is seven enough? 
Because Peter was thinking, you know, the, the law might say three or four, seven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to an extreme. I'm going to say seven. And Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times, which most people think an unlimited, we should forgive an unlimited amount of times. I mean, Jesus taught forgiveness. And at the cross, Jesus practiced forgiveness. Listen, the people who hurt you, Don't you think they need this prayer? Father, forgive them. The people who persecute you, the people doing what they do to you, don't you think they need this prayer? You say, well, Richie, you, you, don't, you don't know how much I've been hurt. You don't know what the people did to me. It can't be worse than what they did to Jesus that day. Listen, church, we don't forgive our enemies because they... They need forgiveness. We don't forgive them because they want forgiveness. We don't forgive them because they deserve forgiveness. We don't forgive them because they repent and ask for forgiveness. We don't forgive them because they forgive us. We forgive them because God has forgiven us. So you have a choice today. You have a choice today. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive them, your father is not going to forgive you. So you have a choice today. If you want the forgiveness of God, you've got to learn to forgive others. I know, I mean, just think of the person that you know right now needs forgiveness. Somebody who's hurt you. Somebody who's said something about you. Somebody who's done you wrong. And you're like, I, I am not going to forgive them. Some of you need to offer forgiveness today to someone. The cross demands it. Some of you need to initiate forgiveness today. The cross demands it. Some of you need to ask God for forgiveness today. Jesus was nailed to the cross with his arms outstretched, and there's nothing that you've done that won't fit inside of there and receive forgiveness. You can have your sins washed today. You can have your sins forgiven today. Last words. What does that look like? I think I've shared this story with you before, but it fits. Botham Jean was shot by an off-duty police officer in Dallas. He went to Harding. He was a great young man. And he was shot and killed. And in the courtroom, his brother forgave the woman who shot his brother. And he asked the judge if he could give her a hug. And some people went ballistic saying he shouldn't have done that. And I heard some Christians going ballistic saying he shouldn't have done that. But what he did makes the world a better place. It had nothing to do with being an American. It had nothing to do with being a Democrat. It had nothing to do with being a Republican. It had everything to do with being a Christ follower. If he would have gone on a tirade and ripped her up one side down the other, many people probably would have applauded. But he didn't respond like a citizen of America. He responded like a citizen 
of heaven. He responded as someone who's already been forgiven by God. He responded with the same forgiveness that God has given him. And that behavior will change our community. Not who we vote for. Not who the president is. It's more than politics. That will change our community as a Christ follower. Listen, we need to, be, we need to remember we've been called to be Christians first. And to do unto others as God has to us, and that includes forgiveness. So let me go back to that college student who owed me money. <clears throat> he could have easily paid me back. He had the ability to pay me back. It was obvious he had the money to pay me back, and he didn't. And yet, when you consider our sins, our sins, your sins, my sins, not just the people that day, when you consider our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross, and when you consider our sin debt that must be paid, there's no way we can pay that. We can't pay some of that. We can't pay any of that. Oh, we try. We try. We think, well, I'm going to go to church and pay some of my sin debt, and I'm going to throw some money in the plate and pay some of my sin debt. I'm going to read my Bible this week to pay some of my sin debt. Surely God will look down upon me and say, you know, I've canceled a little bit. There's nothing we can do to pay that sin debt. We can't pay our sin debt, but Jesus can. And Jesus did. We came to the cross owing everything. And we leave the cross owing nothing. You want to know what that's called? It's called forgiveness. Forgiveness. Let's pray.